welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. So, I guess the only news we didn't talk about in our last two podcasts was um, famous uh, quantum physicist, um, astrophysicist Stephen Hawking died at the age of 76. Uh, just obviously one of the most brilliant scientists alive um, during our lifetimes a brief history of time uh, one of the most influential books about space or even science and you know that came out maybe in the last 40 years arguably and uh, back on the Errol Morris tip once again there was a, there's a great documentary made of the brief history of time that Stephen Hawkins is in made by Errol Morris I recommend everybody watch that who hasn't seen that in Stephen Hawking I mean he was probably one of the first people that I read about sort of the idea of the unified theory, that theory of everything, that sort of there wasn't just these, you know, theories behind certain isolated aspects of our physical universe, but that there was a theory that bound everything together as a unified theory. That sort of led me down a path of being really interested in quantum physics for a while and, you know, admittedly got into some hippie shit when I was doing a lot more psychedelics and reading Stephen Hawking and, you know, reading Swamp Thing and Alan Moore kind of all at the same time. And it was sort of like a, you know, it sort of was a nice component to like that journey of mine is like reading about quantum physics and reading his stuff. Took me on many different paths and uh, something that I only learned about him later in life which I'll let you talk about, Abby, is the fact that he seemed like he had some very socialist leanings and was also vehemently anti-war um, in, in some areas and also was pro-Palestinian. This, this came out after he passed away that he had an unpublished scientific paper that's about to be published, I believe, later this month um, with another scientist based on the theory, the multiverse theory, which is something that uh, people who've heard me talk about DC Comics and Star Trek The Next Generation and stuff. I mean, it's been a sci-fi trope favorite of mine for a long time, the idea of parallel universes, the multiverse. His last paper theorized a way to send a probe into space to prove or disprove the multiverse hypothesis in quantum physics. And he personally believed that there were multiple universes that were sort of layered, that occupied the sort of the same time and space as ours, but were sort of in a different layer of reality. And I'm probably totally botching his actual theory, but That's super interesting. Just goes to show that the longer quantum physics is a studied field, the more weird shit it's getting. He built off of a lot of the research of other people, and you know he's not the only one who who has done breakthroughs in this area. But it is a sad state of affairs when we have someone like Stephen Hawking passing away, or someone like Carl Sagan passing away, who were very big proponents of wealth redistribution. And they warned us about the future of like automation, specifically Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking said in his last Reddit AMA, everyone can enjoy a life of luxurious leisure if the machine produced wealth is shared, or most people can end up miserably poor if the machine owners successfully lobby against wealth redistribution. So far, the trend seems to be towards the second option with technology driving ever increasing inequality. Um, so it's just interesting how we think of Bernie Sanders and some of these people like politicians being like, you see them characterized as like far left, you know, by, by neoliberals and stuff. But yet you have like Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking 
saying things that sound very socialist and also just like very matter of fact, like, yeah, of course this is going to happen if automation keeps happening. Like capitalism will sort of set in motion this idea that there will be more wealth, wealth inequality, but it will also produce an opportunity for us to redistribute more wealth. If there's less, like if there's more automation, more things being produced automatically. He talks about how we can't go on ignoring inequality because then we have the means to destroy our world, but not to escape it. Um, He just said that there's a huge problem with the technological advancements without any sort of like consciousness behind it. He also talks about, yes, aliens, you know, are out there, but maybe we shouldn't be so excited about the idea because what if they're like crazy species like us who just want to colonize our planet and take all of our resources? He has like a more war of the worlds (laughs) hypothesis. He doesn't think SETI... (laughs) And the people trying to contact alien civilizations like across the galaxy of the universe is necessarily a good idea. Yeah, um, he had a more cynical view about the alien thing than Sagan. But but going back to his anti-war stuff, and I want to um, just mention the fact that he was vehemently anti-war. Um, in 2004, he, he did a press conference with students and other activists and, and scientists and stuff where he actually read the victims who died so far in the Iraq war. Um, fast forward to today, where right before he passed away, he was uh, a fervent proponent of Palestinian rights. Um, he was a proponent of boycott, divestment, sanctions of Israel. He actually boycotted scientific conferences in Tel Aviv. He spoke about how he wanted to speak in the West Bank. He was called anti-Semitic. What a surprise. I mean, this was actually before um, there really was a sea change on Palestine. He really put himself out there with war, with BDS, um, and with the kind of utopian universalism that you're talking about, where he's saying, you know, we can make a better world, and just having that internationalist approach to things that has been rebranded as radical by centrists. It's really unfortunate, because he was the most brilliant person. Um, He made science accessible for young people. I mean, what other physicists do we even know about when we're like kids, you know? Like, everyone read that book and kind of understood these theories um, that were way too academic and like, you know, heady for, I think, a lot of people. But he really made them palatable because that was his whole idea. He wanted to democratize science and information. He wanted everyone to have access and everyone to understand the way the complexities of the world and how the universe works. Uh, It's really awesome seeing kind of what he did and what he believed in and seeing just the legacy that he left behind. And it's really inspirational to know that, you know, he stood on the right side of history and we'll keep fighting for that legacy to continue and to honor who he was and what he believed in. And I'll, and I'll keep living my life the way that I, I, the way that he did and speaking truth to power and using his, his platform to do so. And it's just crazy that he was never silenced, like even though he was paralyzed and, but he just never let anything stop him from changing the world and it's just incredible. You just seem like an authentic, eccentric scientist who had a really creative, brilliant mind. It's really a shame that with him gone, we're now left with these disgusting, vacuous, like TV personality scientists like Bill Nye, Michio Kaku, and Neil deGrasse Tyson, who just really have nothing to offer to society. I'm sorry. They do not hold a candle to people like Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking. Not, not even close. It's sad that we're that those people are gone. So this is what we're left with now. 
but it seems like he was just like really worldly and like kind of above the fray of all these scientists today. It's just he was on just a completely other level, kind of like Carl Sagan. I don't know if it was just the time that they came up, you know, and and had their theories like really out there. I, I don't know, but just it's a huge loss, just a huge loss. Moving on to, to the drug dealer thing where Trump basically said, you know, he, he loves Duterte. So he, he loves that the the president of the Philippines is like, he's like reclassifying all these people who were like in the Communist Party. Because the Communist Party is actually huge in the Philippines. And so he is now calling these people terrorists, talking about changing the rhetoric. He's classifying leftists as terrorists. He's executing thousands of people that are just low-level drug users and drug dealers. I don't even know what that means or what the classification is for a drug dealer in the Philippines, but they're apparently uh, Trump thinks it's great and Trump is getting a lot of ideas from him. And so he just comes out like an asshole and says, um, you know, we should ramp up mandatory sentences. So the biggest problem in the prison system is that we don't have drug users in enough <laughs> for enough time. We need, you know, weed dealers and cocaine dealers and, and, and users in prison for life. And not just that, we need to execute them. Because if we don't get tough on drug dealers, we're wasting our time. And that toughness includes the death penalty, Trump said, which is incredible because then you look at Jeff Sessions, who actually thinks that weed is like the most serious offense of all time. And he is actually, he already sent a memo to the nation's federal prosecutors urging them to seek the death penalty in cases involving large-scale drug traffickers. So, does this mean actual legal cannabis clubs that are now enacted across the U.S.? I mean, pharmaceutical reps, if you take them out in the public square and behead them, you know how China like, executes board, like CEOs all the time. So, yeah, great. Uh, death penalty for drug dealers, great. So take the pharmaceutical CEOs, take the Sackler family, behead them in the public square, and then we can talk. Because again, it's just a two-tiered justice system for like low-level weed users. I get confused sometimes by the way this um, subject comes up in the media, like this whole idea of the opioid epidemic. The only non-pharmaceutical opioid is like heroin that people use. That's like a street drug. So wouldn't really the argument, I mean, isn't really the discussion about pharmaceutical opioids? I mean, isn't that like really what they're saying when people say the opioid epidemic? Yes. I, I mean, I think the real argument should be about treatment because I don't know how you're going to stop like the production of all these pills. Like even if you just shut down like the main pharmaceutical companies, I think European countries... Have, have the smart method where it's like they have safe spaces for like addicts to do drugs and to get no of course up. i mean i believe in needle exchanges i think that the first and foremost thing is canceling direct to consumer advertising here and i mean pharmaceutical companies are the number one lobbying force on the hill so they are hugely influential in the u.s more than any other country that's why you have the epidemic here i think it's all just fostered within this culture of like pharmaceutical pills you know we we're we're just conditioned to think that that's the solution to everything there's zero preventative health care there's zero free health care and drug use is looked at it's demonized it's criminalized to the maximum extent where people are just languishing in prison for just doing basically nothing um and and of course people have pain and need pain management and i and you know i don't want to like come down too hard and on the users i think that What's unfortunate is that the, 
the system has been created to prey on people who are vulnerable. Like you see these pharmaceutical companies going to Native American reservations and literally preying on people who are in complete desperation um, to try to get them hooked on opioids. And then when they can't have access to them anymore, of course, they're going to go to the street and get heroin. And then that's where a lot of these deaths are occurring. And it's just disgusting. Again, going back to the Sackler family, who is just like like this big benefactor for liberalism and the arts and stuff. And they're just like, the you know, have the patent on Oxycontin. It's just gross. I, I think that drugs should be decriminalized at, at the very least. I, we can look at Portugal for an example of how this has successfully worked. Um, so this whole rhetoric about like more penalties and more criminalization and death penalty for drug dealers is just ludicrous. It's just like the complete opposite of where we should be going as a society. Martin Shkreli, that guy who's like going back to what you're saying, like you can raise the price of insulin five times or you can you know, do what Martin Shkreli did and, and increase like 500% some pill. And that's fine. He's not going to prison for doing that. He's going to prison for defrauding some billionaire. Yeah. I wanted to give a really quick shout out to Blue Planet 2. I am absolutely obsessed. Yes, Planet Earth was incredible and mind blowing. Yes, Blue Planet was great. This is even better, dude. I'm not joking. Like it, it, it's almost as incredible as watching Planet Earth for the first time. Because there's so many groundbreaking revolutionary things that they have discovered with the technology that they were able to advance with filming underwater, the deep sea. And let me just go over a few of these things that are just unbelievable. Um, And of course, David Attenborough is my boyfriend and my husband, and he narrates my life in my head. So, um, okay, so a couple things about Blue Planet 2. Number one, octopi, they are so goddamn smart. You know, you've seen the mimic octopus on like the the clips of him being able to actually shapeshift and stuff like that. This was the first time that they've been able to film an octopus creating a suit of armor out of seashells. There's like a shark that's attacking this octopus. The octopus takes each of his tentacles, the suction cups, and and sucks shells all around him and creates a suit of armor. And is literally sitting on the ocean floor as a shell suit. And the, and the wow. shark has no idea and it like is just swimming around and then it like hits the shells and the shells all, and then the octopus escapes. Incredible. It also shows an octopus like hunting to help other fish. Um, there's incredible sperm whale footage. That's just the most like devastatingly beautiful thing you've ever seen of these sperm whales that float. They actually play with little barnacles. They go to the bottom of the, Oh no, that's dolphins. I'm sorry. These sperm whales are absolutely amazing. The way that they just like float around in the ocean is just unreal a really sad part of blue planet is when one of the baby sperm whales actually tried to eat like this plastic bucket because that's another thing that blue planet shows is that plastic is has destroyed the ocean and um it's just unbelievable the bbc shows this like scuba diver swimming through indonesia i think it is or bangladesh and it's just like a plastic soup of fucking hell so that's the ocean um, so it's amazing to see this blue planet footage, but then when you watch the how they filmed it, you see like the devastating things where they're dealing with all this plastic and they have to you know save and rescue some of these creatures that they're filming because they almost died eating plastic. So the sperm whales are incredible. Portuguese man of war, holy shit. I always knew what that was. Like you, you, you hear the name, you know, you see you like hear that they're on the beach. like, oh, watch out, there's Portuguese man of war on the beach. Holy shit. This is the most incredibly fascinating creature. Like, not only does it just look insane, it looks like it has like pearls and like tendrils of like a little sail. 
it's just, it's stunning. It's stunning. I have no idea. And it actually like liquefies fish. Like a fish will get caught on one of the tendrils and it'll just liquefy it and suck it up. It's the most insane thing ever. Yeah. One of the amazing things about Blue Planet is just that these dolphins play with coral. They pick out like these crazy coral shapes at the bottom of the ocean, bring them up to the top and then watch them fall. And it's just the cutest thing in the world to see them, um, you know, really giddy basically. And just really liking like different shapes of coral and getting just all silly about it and making little silly noises and stuff. It was so cute. But I think the most amazing thing about the Blue Planet is that it basically discovered a new field. I don't know why this hasn't been researched or developed in science or oceanography yet, but basically all creatures in the ocean make languages. We know about, you know, whales and dolphins already using sonar and we kind of exploit those creatures for military purposes sometimes. But apparently all fish have languages and communicate with each other through sounds, which is so insane to me because I just had no idea. And it's just a whole other element of how humans impact the ocean. Um, because we already know that, uh, you know, we're, we're destroying the ocean through plastic, through military exercises and, and just pollution in general. But another whole element of this that I never even thought about before is just boats obfuscating the ability for creatures to communicate. Like in Blue Planet, it showed this sea and school of clownfish that were communicating with each other to hunt and a boat passes above and they just get temporarily discombobulated and they're not able um, to do that. So it's just a fascinating, fascinating thing. I really, really can't recommend it enough um, let me know what you think when you guys watch it and what your favorite parts are. So yeah, big, big props for, for Blue Planet. Um, it is just really depressing because it just shows you at the end how much plastic is in the ocean. And yeah, it's, it's a bummer. Um, if I were president, I would ban plastic, like immediate ban plastic, ban styrofoam. The fact that it's 2018 and we still have that shit is just like mind blowing to me. And, um, yeah, it's just really unfortunate that we still have like plastic bags and styrofoam containers that just do not biodegrade whatsoever. Um, it's kind of to the point of no return, but it's also just, why aren't we doing anything about it now? Um, we're just like waiting for the oceans to become completely uninhabitable. Um, because that's the way we rock, dude. We don't, we don't like actually put in place environmental measures until it's far too late. So that's what's happening with climate change. That's what's happening with the environmental degradation in the oceans. And it's just a super bummer, but it's also really great to be able to be alive, to see the technology um, and to see all the creatures that exist that we would never have known about before without these you know, special cameras and stuff. Um, I wanted to give a shout out also to Legion, Robbie. This is a super underrated Marvel offshoot of a character that I never knew about before you talked about the the series with me. And it's just like one of the best, most underrated series ever on TV. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's um, Legion, in case anyone hasn't heard of it, I believe it's actually managed and, sh and run by the same showrunners who did Fargo season two. And I'm not sure if the same people were behind Fargo season one. I think they might have been, but there's a lot of connective tissue between Fargo season two. A lot of the cast, especially in that show, is in Legion. And if you liked the sort of the weirdness of Fargo season two, you'd probably really like Legion. And it's probably, I mean, it's arguably one of the most artistic, interesting, sort of avant-garde shows on television possibly ever 
you know, really, besides maybe the new Twin Peaks uh, season three. So just for that alone, I think people who are listeners of our show should check it out. It's not a typical superhero spinoff show. It's nothing like The Flash or Arrow or any of those CW shows. Um, It almost has no relationship to the X-Men. Like, if you had no idea that it was an X-Men spinoff, you wouldn't even notice. And it's written by this guy named Chris Claremont, who was very influential. I'm sorry, not the show, but the comic book it's based on is written by a guy named Chris Claremont, who was very influential in the 80s and early 90s and shaped a lot of the way that, like, sort of the adult and the more dark uh, side of, like, the Marvel Universe in the 80s, which is something we don't get to really see in the, any of the Marvel movies. It's like a pretty much like a churned-out billion-dollar Disney industry now. You know, the Marvel, the Marvel Universe as a whole has a lot of, like, weird sort of psychedelic things in it, and Legion is, like, one of the only adaptations that I know of that sort of really channels that side of what Marvel Comics is, and it's an amazing show. I mean... I don't want to spoil anything really about it for people, um, but it's about like a mutant who doesn't even know he's a mutant who has like the who's like pro- possibly one of the most powerful mutants in the world is sort of like the way that the show starts, and yeah, it's brilliant. And season two of Legion starts on April third, and I'm quite disappointed by the fact that the FX network or whoever is responsible for releasing the the DVDs or the Blu-rays of it. It's still not even out yet. Season one is not even out yet on DVD or Blu-ray, and it's almost a it's over a year since it ended. Yeah, and I so, haven't even seen any commercials for it or anything other than what no. you sent me. It's all and it's it's being mismarketed. It's not being marketed enough. It's actually very sad to me. But what can you do? You know, I mean, right. it's just a it's a neglected neglected show. Doesn't get enough hype. And that's just the way things are, you know, well, when, other the Big shows, Bang Theory, when the Big Bang Theory is the most popular show on TV and when yeah. Full House is the most popular show on Netflix, then, you know. Or even, yeah, or, or just, you know, the stuff on Netflix that is really popular, like Stranger Things, I mean, wasn't, Stranger Things not a bad show, but like, Legion deserves that kind of hype, I think. Yeah. It's very pulpy. It feels like you're almost watching like an edgy 80s movie, like a film, Um even though it's not trying to be retro, it just has the feeling of something that like you don't really see anymore on TV. It has like sort of um kind of reminds me of like Paul Verhoeven sometimes. It kind of reminds me of like uh, I don't know. The cinematography it's, it's hard to make is comparisons. just epic. It, the yeah. way that it's filmed is very film like. Like it just feels like so much work has been put into it. So you know, so many sets. The music is incredible. The acting is stellar. Just every level is just so monumental and groundbreaking for I think a TV show. I don't think other than Twin Peaks, exactly. I can't think of another show that I've seen in the last couple of years um, that's been that uh, just that much work put into it. It's absolutely brilliant, and the fact that they're they let them do a second season, and uh, it looks just as crazy as the first one, looks just as high budget. And I was very excited about that, and yeah, a lot of the best shows, more or I guess more interesting shows, get sort of the least press in my mm-hmm. mind. I mean, like The Walking Dead, and um, this Altered Carbon show, and all these other shows get so much hype. And when I finally, when I'm watching them, I'm just like these shows are actually shit for the most part. They're not good. And then these other littler shows, like even The Preacher, wasn't a perfect show, but it got so little hype and press, but it was like a genuinely interesting show. AMC mm-hmm. Network is probably one of the only interesting shows they've launched since Better Call Saul, 
got like zero media attention. So it just makes me sad. It's like some of the best shit on TV right now is getting the le- least publicity. Yeah, it's weird to go like driving around LA and you see these huge billboards for just like the most oversaturated like garbage on Netflix. It's so hard to even navigate through Netflix because it's just yeah. this incredible amount of material being made. I don't even know where where's all this money coming from. Like I don't Netflix seems like it's like a total bubble. It's a gonna it I don't understand how it's able to sustain itself. It's a very bizarre business model. And it's to me it's just indicative of how capitalism and how the competitive marketplace like waters actually good services mm-hmm. down into being these like shit streamlined like idiot proof consumer delivery services for for people right do you remember when netflix used to pride itself on being a company that you could literally rent any you could find any movie on right, dvd right. the most obscure shit and then they started doing streaming and it was like people assumed wrongly that they would have the same mentality for that. Oh, we want to have like the most available streaming movie. You know, we want to be able to uh, like provide every movie to you. And then you know, years passed, and you started noticing that they would shuffle out content. Like I remember when I first got Netflix, they had Star Trek: The Original Series. They had all these cartoons like Justice League. You know, the whole series. They had all the X Files. They had all these. They had all of Fringe on there. It was like several of my favorite shows, and I was like, oh, this is great. I'm never going to cancel this. And then all of a sudden, they just mysteriously start shuffling out content without notifying anybody. Right. So if you have like a, if you've literally subscribed to Netflix because it has like three of your favorite shows streaming on it, watch the fuck out because in a couple months they might be gone and you ju- they just won't say anything. Right. So you'll be paying for a garbage service that has really nothing on it that you want to watch. And I find that very disheartening that a corporation can just operate that way and, and be successful. It, it annoys me. You know, and something like Legion could probably have a whole new life and a new audience on a streaming service, but yet it's not on any of them yet. Like for free, I mean. Yeah. Um, and that's just bugs me too. It's like Net, if it was put on Netflix right now, it would have, it would be like when Family Guy got canceled. And all these college kids thought it was like, you know, when they got the DVDs of Family Guy, they worshipped it and thought it was the most hilarious, amazing show ever, of course, because they're college kids. And it came back because it was so popular on DVD. Family Guy would have been canceled off TV. Nobody would have even heard of Seth MacFarlane had it not been for the them releasing them all on DVD and yeah, having them be the so Arrested successful. Arrested Development kind of had the same lagging exactly. following. You're exactly right, yes. Except so, there, that when they came back, it was bad. <laughs> I couldn't even oh like, God, get through yeah. the season. It was shocking. It was weird. Um, Very weird. <clears throat> I wanted to give a quick shout out to my new favorite actor, Michael Shannon. How have I never heard about this guy before? He's now, I see him everywhere. He's in Waco. He's in Shape of Water. He, um, we saw him in Bug, and it was like the most incredible movie. Have you seen that with Ashley? I Jen? have. It's very, very disturbing. Incredibly I disturbing. Seen it in like ten years. Incredibly disturbing. This guy is just the most phenomenal actor. I have no idea why he's not in every movie. Um, just can't recommend him enough. Everyone check out his work. But also, just I loved Shape of Water, and I loved, loved, loved Waco. Waco, of course, was one of the first issues that I like found out about through Alex Jones, amazingly. And this is going back to when Alex Jones was really covering like this kind of stuff, really, and drawing in people who were like kind of waking up about how, you know, crazy the government was and all these criminal well, did things that they that, did. What? Did I already tell you that w- that the that the reason why Alex Jones became so popular in the first place and well-known is because he rebuilt the Branch Davidian Church. He paid, he what? paid for the money to rebuild it. Wait. That's how he gained so much compound? credit. compound? Not the compound, <laughs> what the fuck? a church for them. 
wow. And he that's how he gained so much credibility in the militia movements originally. Whoa. And where did he get all that money from? Obviously, family money. He wasn't like an entrepreneur really at that time. He wasn't raking in the amount of money he's making now, you know? Oh, my God. That's very interesting, right? Yeah. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know what to say. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. I mean, the this, this show is really great because it just uh, it humanizes the Branch Davidians and it just humanizes, um, you know, it, it really portrays like everyone who was actually in the compound because the people who wrote the series, I think it's a six part series. <clears throat> I forget where, but just check it out on demand. Um, one of the guys was the FBI like uh negotiator and then the other one was a survivor so it's told through through their eyes and it's just a really different take and then you'll hear from you know history books and whatever the fbi and and news was saying which is that they all committed suicide in mass really a long story short i mean they were all burned alive and or gassed um and, and you know killed mostly children um a couple people did shoot themselves but just the the way that this was covered up uh, is just nuts. And, and what really happened is just nuts too, because I forgot, I forgot all of that. I forgot that it took, um, you know, f- five weeks. I forgot that they were almost staked out mm-hmm. for two months in front of that compound. And that we always hear, and I misremembered even learning about Waco and waking up to like how criminal the government was and how crazy this incident was. I forgot actually what happened because, you know, our memories change over time and you just, you just, you know, you're surrounded by like the cultural rewriting of history. Um, so I forgot that there actually, you know, there was an initial kind of quote unquote shootout, but after that, the branch Divinians did not shoot anyone or, and, or like fire anything at all. Um, and they were actually really close to coming out and, um, you know, they're not like the crazy cult that people paint them to be. They're just kind of like a, a, a really religious sect, um, the, of the seventh day Adventist, which is just a sect of Christianity. And um, <clears throat> it was Texas, so yeah, they were stockpiling some weapons, but they were also just selling weapons just because they were selling guns. They did a lot of things to make money. Um, <clears throat> and it's just incredible that after, Jesus, sorry, <clears throat> after five weeks, that these tanks just completely invade the property, running over their cars, jamming into the wall, and then again, just firing tear gas, which is a known incendiary. Um, and then denying it and saying that they burn themselves alive. Really? You you think that a hundred people would just like set themselves on fire and choose to just die that way? It doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but I just forgot, you know, 70 people dead, mostly women and children. Uh, it's just, it's just insane. And this was after Ruby Ridge, like the whole thing started because the ATF looked so bad after Ruby Ridge, where they just basically surrounded this guy totally isolated in the middle of the woods who, you know, believed in some neo-Nazi things or whatever, had some crazy beliefs. Is that a reason to go and invade his property and shoot and execute his wife? Um, so, you know, when the ATF did that, they looked so bad. They thought that Waco was going to be actually a positive photo op for them. They thought they were going to just go in there and, you know, get on camera, them rescuing a bunch of women and children, taking out these guns. And instead we know what it turned into, but it's a crazy time. I mean, and just reliving that it was kind of like the OJ um, mini series. Like I remember it as a kid, but reliving it and seeing everything that happened is just nuts. And it just makes so much more sense. And and I really appreciate the way that this miniseries humanized them in a way that um, no one else really has. And of course, the FBI really has lied so much about what happened. 
And at the end of the the miniseries, they go over all the other times that, you know, federal agents have shot tear gas that ended up in a blazing inferno. So the whole line that, you know, tear gas is not an incendiary is just bullshit. And they've done this so many times where they know that the end effect is going to be just burning the house down. Um, and it doesn't matter who who dies in the wake of it. So it's just gross, the revisionism about this and uh, and just painting these people as just complete lunatics who were, you know, yeah, they, there were there was some like sketchy shit where David Koresh was like married to several young teenagers. It was a cult. You know, it was a cult, but it wasn't but that like, doesn't, that doesn't justify yeah, in any way right. their law enforcement response to it. They want, obviously wanted to make an example as a PR stunt of the federal government's heavy hand. Yeah. That's what it, that's what it was there. They don't show this in the miniseries from what I've been told. I haven't seen it, but this is a pivotal moment in the exchange between law enforcement and the branch of Indians where they had an opportunity to arrest. Basically they had an arrest warrant for David Koresh from what I, from what I remember. And I might be getting this exactly wrong for some kind of weapons, um, like gun violation or something. And, that was what they were going to, that's what they used to surround the compound. But interestingly, they waited until he went back to the compound to um, enact the arrest. They, yeah, they could have gotten him while he was around town. He was like, that's, very what, I, well that's known. what I'm trying to say is that's what, that's the crux of what they did. They wanted to do a show of force on the entire compound thinking that somehow the rest of the world or rest of Americans would be like, yeah, fuck these fucking <laughs> cultists, you know, like, like almost like um I'm trying to think of the last time that this happened where uh all a bunch of people died or what was the what the Jim Jones incident yeah um so but I mean obviously <laughs> uh they wanted to you know they wanted to like uh make an example out of these people and there's actually video uh multiple video there's video of the law enforcement on the ground preparing to raid the compound preparing to do a standoff with it where they're like bragging about wanting to like kill people inside and stuff wow there's that actual videotape from from the day um and then also there's FLIR recordings which are infrared helicopter recordings of 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 the standoff and the shooting and the subsequent fire which show that the police started shooting first Mm mm-hmm and then the police um, had actually, uh, in, in according to this movie, um, this is one of the most famous Waco documentaries there are. I think it even won an Oscar. Um, it shows the police running over a, a human being with a car, like with a tank, and squashing it. The news choppers weren't allowed in the area. They were banned. So there is no actual footage except for this leaked FLIR footage, which only shows infrared heat signatures. And you could see one of the tanks um, running someone over and then like squashing and smearing their corpse all over the ground with a, with like a riot tank. So they were doing some nutty, uh, evil shit. You and know, knowing that they just, were being filmed. That's, that's the crazy thing. Well, I mean, they didn't think they were being up. filmed. They oh, did, thought- the only thing filming them that was allowed at the time was like a military or like federal government helicopter. Oh, okay. I thought that that was when all the media was set up, just like waiting to. No, the media was forced to oh. um, set up very far away and stage very far away. Uh, um, so all the footage that the media has of the Branch Davidian compounds, like from like zoom lenses and stuff. Wow. So there's no chop, just like Boston bombings. It's like we they knew they were going to do some heinous, yeah, yeah. evil, 
old west style shit no choppers allowed dude no choppers allowed wow we don't want you to catch us on video like running over a human being with a tank yeah we just Just want to do that for fun by ourselves like when that guy the quote-unquote black lives matter cop killer remember when that guy all of a sudden the helicopters were gone and all of a sudden they were like the guy blew himself up or like we put a bomb we sent him a bomb and then it just blew him up on the street and it's like what happened wow um, yeah, I, I just highly recommend the miniseries. I wish that they showed that because, yeah, I guess that was a little too much. Um, painting painting the feds a little bit too crazy. They didn't want to go that far, showing them run over actual humans and, and dogs and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's just a disgusting thing. It's a disgusting thing what happened. And what's interesting too is the ATF apparently was like way more hyper-focused on these kind of militia movements back in the nineties. And then now today, all all the funding's cut for even like looking, you know, all the mass shooters and all these people that have these really crazy tendencies. Well, well, let's look at the trajectory of it. I mean, at one point in time, militia movements did pose a threat to federal government agencies, right? Whether you like them or not, whether you like their politics or not, they, that argument could be made. They don't anymore. The, the, all the militia groups in the country right. worship Trump. Right. They lick the boots of the sitting president of the United States. That is a magnificent shift. And the federal government is probably very happy about that. That they now can basically wag the dog and get in the militia movement to just like b- believe in anything Trump is saying. I mean, that's a fascinating reversal, I think. And a lot of that can be, you know, a lot of the blame for that. Um, goes straight to Alex Jones. Um, And I find that very interesting that Bill Cooper, one of the guys who, you know, call him a kooky conspiracy theorist, if you want. I mean, he talked about UFOs. He's definitely on a, you know, on a, on another level. Um, But he called out Alex Jones in 1999 and he used the words, this is a setup. This is a setup. And Bill Cooper actually died in a shootout with the feds. He was he was avoiding paying taxes and he said come get me. I'm not going to go down without a fight. So, you know, whether you agree with that or not, it's a crazy stance to take. He was the real deal in terms of like a militia anti-fed activist. Alex Jones right after Bill Cooper died jumped into that void and became the de facto king, the head of the militia movement circuit. And and over the next 17 years, slowly groomed them to worship a fact like a like state power and riot police and federal government officials, and that I find that very fascinating. And I'm not saying that you know Alex Jones is some kind of plant or anything like that, but I do think that people in the federal government or other people have figured out a way to and essentially remove the teeth from the militia movement and make it not a threat anymore. And I, I don't know how that ha- exactly how that trajectory happened, but it appears to be the case now. I don't think in terms of fighting the federal government, like in terms of standing up to it, I think that era is over. Although what you see now is all these militia movement people, these gun-toting people now shifting all their rage to the left and liberals and minorities. And that's very dangerous. Absolutely. And Alex Jones has kind of been their spiritual leader uh overarching you know since the Waco days and today I mean so all these militia people who've just been listening to Alex Jones have been duped into now just 
you know, worshiping Trump, like you said. So what's even more bizarre is you have Alex Jones calling for police state measures to arrest and round up protesters and leftists and actually install martial law. Um, And not only that, Robbie, but you have him actually bending over backwards to apologize for the worst neocon um, who Trump just appointed that we've been talking about, John Bolton. Very, very fascinating. I mean, I knew that that Alex Jones was becoming soft on neocons and was starting to twist and turn to apologize for all, you know, he was even writing pro Rudy Giuliani articles on his website a year ago. Um, So it's not a total surprise, but if this doesn't show you that Alex Jones and Infowars is complete controlled opposition and has been leading you basically off of a cliff into now accepting and and wanting a guy who is one of the four founding directors of the project for the new American century to be in office. I, I honestly don't know what to say. Like if you haven't woken up at this point, you probably are a lost cause. And that's very, very disturbing that you can't like, this is not enough to wake you up and make you realize that Alex Jones and Infowars are total fucking frauds but even or like, even just straight up yeah. controlled opposition. It's it's it can no longer be trusted in any sh- way, shape, or form. Even if you're a total partisan conservative, brain dead idiot, I mean, you really need to wake up. Yeah, unless there's you no legitimately want World War Three. There's, I mean, if you don't see who John Bolton is, um, mm-hmm. then you're fucking blind, man. Yeah, I mean, just read his op-eds. He he lays it out for you. It's not you don't have to read through the lines like you do with traditional neoconservatives like Robert Kagan. Um, it's right out there. <laughs> he doesn't hide it. <laughs> he no. doesn't hide it. He's genocidal and he wants World War Three. He literally does. So No, watch watch the segment at. from yesterday, or sorry, from the 23rd of March with Roger Stone and Alex Jones praising John Bolton, saying he's a nationalist, he's anti-globalist, which is just such a bizarre thing to think because he wants us to do what wage all these wars for Israel and shit. It, it's very fascinating. I mean, even John, even Roger Stone used to say he was a dangerous neocon um, uh, just only six months ago. And now he's on Alex Jones saying he's great. He's absolutely great. And that's actually really interesting. When you look at the comments on Infowars and on the YouTube posting, they're all negative. And they're all like, oh, my God, Alex, like, how did Infowars sell out like that? Like, everybody's like really shocked. So this is the this is the first time I've ever seen them have this many negative comments on any of their stuff. So that's that's interesting that Alex Jones would be willing to put his whole you know brand at risk and lo- lose his credibility like this but I don't I, I I honestly don't know what to think it's it is it's it's hard to know um what his long-term strategy is I think it's just riding the gravy train and I think climbing so too, the ladder yeah. yep I, I absolutely agree I mean he just blows in the wind and just goes wherever the money is wherever he smells the money and Roger Stone is one of the biggest shills neocon shills i've ever seen now now that i've seen him praise john bolton like this like i have no doubt in my mind that he might actually be like a neocon operative of some kind yeah trying to corral the the conspiracy nixon administration let's not forget that yeah you know he says he's admitted and he even admitted more in this alex jones appearance that he plays poker and drinks with john bolton and he has been for the past 15 years he's a friend of his oh wow so there you go so if that's not nakedly out on the open admitting 
that he cavorts with neo pr- project for the new American century <laughs> neocons. Um, Meanwhile, so, yeah, w- yeah, like whistling about nine eleven to Alex Jones's listeners. That's you know, very that's incredible. That when you combine those thing, two things together, that Roger Stone is dog whistling nine eleven conspiracy theorists while also drinking and playing poker with one of the four founding directors of PNAC, you really have to ask what the fuck is going on there. Holy! You really shit. have to examine that because that is very strange. My God. Um, well, let's move on to the other big story right now that I think people are kind of getting wrong. Cambridge Analytica, um, this behavioral micro-targeting company, I'm reading from the Washington Post right now, um, a firm that specializes in using online data to create voter personality profiles in order to target users with political messages, ran data operations for Donald Trump's presidential campaign. So basically, you know, they uh, there's... a this like psyops company that the news is kind of painting as just merely a data mining operation that Donald Trump's campaign hired to data mine and seed 50 million Facebook profiles. That's what they did um, under the guise of taking some personality quiz or something. And it just harvested not only those people's Facebook profiles, but their friends and families without having any consent or, um, you know, direct access in terms of people allowing them to. We know that Facebook does this. This is not a surprise whatsoever. If you don't think Facebook is is doing this, then wake up. Um, We've been talking about this for years and years. So you should never trust your data on any of these apps, of course. But um, what I think people are missing about the Cambridge Analytica thing is the fact that it, it goes far, far, far beyond just a data mining company. So you have this big whistleblower that's come out named Christopher Wiley. You've probably seen him all over the news. He has pink hair. Um, he's a data scientist who says that he helped set up the algorithm for Cambridge Analytica. He says that it's you know essentially this full-service propaganda machine where he was able to micro-target basically combine data mining with like micro-psychological profiling where they can individualize voter data and and direct target to people's like deepest set fears, insecurities. I mean, we already know that that's what advertising is. It's just kind of creepy to hear someone just openly say, yeah, I created this to specifically do this, um, to basically target you without you knowing and without even seeing the ad um, or even the data that makes, you know, that, that, that we're working on. Um, so everyone's freaking out about the fact that Trump used this this uh, British-based company, by the way. Um, it's funded by billionaire Robert Mercer, who's also behind Bannon, Breitbart, um, Trump. Um, Jared Kushner was really invested in getting Cambridge Analytica hired uh, for Trump's campaign. I guess all of this came out because Robert, the Robert Mueller investigation asked them to over, you know, to turn over their internal documents. So this was all <clears throat> kind of in the Russiagate hysteria that Cambridge Analytica, the spotlight went on them. Um, so, and they got a major contract last year from the State Department, by the way. The same company has a contract from the State Department of $120 million to fight, quote, Russian propaganda in a global engagement center. So that that's another aspect that no one's talking about is that the U.S. State Department has already contracted them to combat Russian propaganda online. Um, and again, targeting people in a way that they can't see and don't understand. When Channel 4 is the only place that I've seen really go into an in-depth investigation about really what this is and what it's doing around the world. Because when you look at the big picture, 
again, this whistleblower is only saying a, a small pocket of it. He's saying, yeah, you know, we're doing these psyops to fuck with people and manipulate elections. What is not being said is that this is literally like a soft regime change, not even soft. I mean, it's like literally a regime change operation, outsourced CIA like Blackwater style organization that's operating lawlessly all around the world, facilitating and fostering Israeli spies, um, MI6, um, tapping into people's phones, like bribing people. Um, their influence, I mean, they, they were invested in the Kenya election, the Nigeria election. When you see what they did in Kenya is fucking nuts. Um, tons of people have died like as a result of what this firm is doing there. And the thing is, you'll never know because they, they even said that themselves, they ghost in and out of these countries. They set up shell operations. They set up fronts. They create fake blogs, fake, fake websites, um, fake propaganda videos that no one can source or figure out who is making them. Um, and they essentially just ghost out. The only reason we even know about this is a, Channel 4 like did a really undercover investigation where they posed as some rich guy to hire them. And so they got on camera these guys basically saying just the most eerie shit in the world. Um, They said that in Kenya, for example, um, they, they backed the Jubilee administration. They backed the Jubilee administration, which was the ruling party, um, with a $6 million contract. They planted tons of fake stories about the opposition by playing these apocalyptic films. Um, They literally rebranded the party, rewrote their manifesto, wrote all of their speeches, and according to them, quote, staged the whole thing. That is fucking nuts. Um, Mind you... Kenya is one of the four countries, I think, that has that full mystic NSA surveillance going on. Um, so how much is the NSA involved in this? How much, how, uh, you know, what, what is really the depth and scope of Cambridge Analytica around the world? We only know about a couple countries. Um, but, but in Kenya, there was some serious political and social implications for this. There was, I, I mean, basically war criminals ended up winning out. Um, and and all of these all of this propaganda put out by Cambridge Analytica was just unquestioningly picked up by the media and local politicians and just repeated ad nauseum. So it really worked there to permeate throughout the entire culture and shape their actual elections, um, erasing the plight of victims of the of the violence. Tons of people died, were maimed, hurt um, with all the things that were going on, and um, and basically emboldened. Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir, who was involved in the genocide in Darfur. So shit's getting really crazy. This guy on camera says that they make fake IDs. They po- they can pose as students. They can pose as tourists. Um, they use Israeli and British shell companies to funnel money through. The fact that this was all on camera, like what else don't we know? And if this is what this one company is doing that we didn't know about before, what other companies exist that are acting as basically privatized CIA firms? It's worth reading this new Baffler Mag article by Yasha Levine called the Cambridge Analytica Con, because he, and as much as this is obviously awful, all these revelations at Cambridge Analytica, he's, he's trying to get people to zoom out from it a little bit. And he, this is just a section I'm going to read from his article. Yeah. So he says, so our present day freak out over Cambridge Analytica needs to be put in the broader historical context of our decades long complacency over Silicon Valley's business model. 
The fact is that companies like Facebook and Google are the real malicious actors here. They are vital public communication systems that run on profiling and manipulation for private profit without any regulation or democratic oversight from the society in which it operates. This is sort of being looked at again, kind of like in the same way that Russian hacking or meddling was like in a vacuum. Like, even though it's now bleeding over to Facebook and all these people are like, I'm shutting my Facebook account down because of this. Shouldn't we assume that Google and Facebook are just stripping all of our data and selling it to like anybody, the highest bidder? You know what I mean? Yeah, no. That Well, that's why I don't understand why the, the story is just about this harvesting of data, which doesn't surprise me in the least. The, the I know. bigger story well, is that's the fact that it's so like a CIA front. It almost makes you wonder if companies like Google and Facebook are paying money to like out some of these like other smaller players or something. I mean, I'm not saying that's a conspiracy on the behalf of them, but we already know that Google hired a PR firm and I just re-listened to our old Occupy Silicon Valley episode from three years ago. Google hired a PR firm to say that Facebook was uh, violating their users' privacy and like spread all these negative media stories about them. So it's interesting that there's might might be some like weird dirty tricks being played here because at the end of the day Google is by far the biggest threat to society in terms of the amount of data mining and like the way that data can be manipulated and used against us to get us to think differently or to make decisions based on it but Robbie they're not evil and it's funny too did you see that thing where like a Google AI researcher was like talking about the the dangers of Facebook no. Now, like, eventually it can be, like, really, really way worse than Google because they have all these, like, people's basically biometric-style data, like faces, you know, sexual preferences, like, all these types mm-hmm. of things. And Google doesn't have that kind of information. It was just an interesting distinction this guy was trying to make who is a Google scientist. That's hilarious. Um, acting like Facebook is so <laughs> dystopian. That's so And it's dumb. like, wait. It's like, wait, I didn't know that. So Facebook can, is sniffing all of our emails. Like, I know they sniff our DMs, obviously. Right. But email is still more of a private, like, you, you say a lot more over email. You know, you do business transactions. There's a lot more private information that gets exchanged over email than Facebook DM. It's very interesting to see them all sort of vying for being the most moral arbiter in this situation. But yet they're all dirty motherfuckers. I mean, but this Cambridge Analytica thing does reveal it's the tip of the iceberg right. for a much larger problem. Right. And it's interesting to me that this is coming up now, sort of at the same time, everyone's trying to make everything about Russian meddling. That's good that the, that it's opening up even wider, but it needs to be opened up the widest to be like, wait, all these p- companies, you know, are well, probably yeah, doing something really what's dirty. What's funny is that now it's being... Tr- Tied to Russia again. It's like we're, oh, yeah, we're yeah, focusing yeah. on the wrong part of it, mm-hmm. you know. So, so it's trying to be rerouted to make it about Russia when really it should be about the fact that Robert Mercer has a private CIA that he uses to like foment regime change around the world, just completely uh, at his own accord. This one executive caught on camera says, "You know, they prey on the fears that you don't even know that you had, and quote put them down the bucket." further than anything else like like put it down at like the depths and bowels of your soul <laughs> like um you know and, and you have Zuck, zuckerberg apologizing he, he's so creepy he's the creepiest dude he looks like a little boy stuffed in like a man suit um i he looks like almost alfred e newman like <laughs> but turned into i don't know like a weird arrival style alien like the way that he walks 
He looks like the alien <laughs> yeah, in Arrival yeah, yeah. with like bent back knees. Um, no, it's really, it's really weird. But I love how he's apologizing, and it's like, dude, you did not give a shit about this until there was actually a news story about it. Like, you guys don't care about anything. Um, and and I, Facebook is obviously the worst, but there are several apps that listen to us all the time. Um, there's multiple instances. I'm sure everyone has had this shared experience where you talk about something, you don't write it down, you don't text it, you don't take a photo of anything. You just start talking about it with your phone out and all of a sudden you'll get targeted advertising about that thing mm-hmm. without you actually entering it in your phone. So what apps are doing that? Obviously Google's involved sharing, sharing this. I already deleted Facebook message messenger, which I know is an app that does that. And there's, and it's still happening to me. So I don't know if anyone knows out there, like if there's a comprehensive list of the apps that do this to you, cause I don't want to fucking be listened to all the goddamn time and be preyed on with ads beyond what I'm already typing in my computer. It's creepy as hell. It's creepy as hell. And it should not be the way that we're living. It's like disgusting. Um, and it well, also it's... just makes me freaked out that like, there's a camera just listening to us all the time. Well, of course. I mean, they, I mean, cell phones are a surveillance device, and it's it's Apple. If you really want to trace it back, Apple really, really uh, figured out a way to make them like total data mining control devices, um, surveillance devices that really can all be traced back to them. Um, and also the idea of digital copy protection. So, like, even the precedent of like you stream this instead of you own the file and it's yours come like kind of derives from Apple too. All these really awful precedents come from Apple. We forget that. Right. We think that Google's, you know, the worst one. I mean, and in a lot of ways they are now, but like a lot of the precedents and the trends of how we got here come from fucking Apple and the iPhone. Um, and I will never forget that. Uh, and Google actually was the first company to say, we're going to start using your microphone and webcam. And I remember when Infowars reported that, like in 2005, I thought this is this is like Alex Jones hyperbole. This can't possibly be real. But it checked out even back then. And they slowly said, oh, actually, we're not going to do this. They kind of quietly were like, no, we're not gonna, actually going to do this anymore. And then they just slowly, quietly brought it back later on. So how, how who knows how long they've actually been doing it, you know? I mean... I think it was Yasha Levine who in my interview with him on Surveillance Valley said that there's a clip of Eric Schmidt actually bragging about the power that Google has. And he's like, you know, we talked about uh, making a, a um, an internal algorithm or an app in- internally that can predict the market, that can predict the stock market. And then we, we kind of talked about it and we're like, no, you know what, that would actually be Ill- illegal because that would be insider <laughs> trading. And what he meant by that was Google has access to basically right. tons of data that is basically insider trading data, like yeah. potential trades about to happen on people's emails, market shifts that people don't know, the public doesn't know about yet through via emails or search results. Oh, of course. I mean, oh, absolutely. very disturbing. And, and the very stock disturbing. market is the most useless tool in the world. That's just like a plaything for the richest of the rich. It's just AI competing with each other. It's just like microcomputers um, betting on, on, you know, and trading my, I don't have a 401k, but I think it's just outrageous that people's 401ks like are the stock market. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Michelle was talking about how she want she, she doesn't have a choice. She has to invest like in her 401k and she was trying to like pull out, okay, well at least let me invest in corporations that are like not fucking awful. 
Um, and she was like, there's a green option of like your 401k. And she was like, I looked into what that is. And it's like Walmart, <laughs> like, yeah. like all these companies, like, like all Donald's. The most profitable, <laughs> easy. That's how it works. Yeah. You don't, if you, I mean, unfortunately, like if you invest in the stock market and like moral companies, your stocks won't do very well. Yeah. All the worst companies make the most profits. That's how, that's how like, it works. Another thing that that we talk about often, but we have we have to bring it up in in light of the Russia troll hysteria and the Cambridge Analytica stuff is um, Israeli lobby groups that are also working as kind of spy fronts. Um, there was this huge film that was going to be actually aired on Al Jazeera, and I think an Israeli lobby was able to block that film from being aired. Electronic Intifada wrote a report just kind of breaking down what is in the film, why is it being um, blocked. And, you know, the film identifies a number of lobby groups basically working with Israel to spy on American citizens using sophisticated data gathering techniques. Um, It casts light on covert efforts to smear and intimidate Americans seen as too critical to Israel. So, you know, again, what lobby groups are doing this? How, you know, how infiltrated are they? What tactics are they using? Uh, It's incredible to think that this is going on. Um, and again, APAC's not registered at, under FARA. Um, none of these organizations are, yet they are working covertly with you know Israeli spy operations and private entities here in the U.S. to criminalize dissent, push these BDS bills, and smear critics. Um, it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And, and again, how many other firms, how many other countries, does Saudi Arabia have its own operation? Does Turkey have its own operations? How far does this go? And not just the governments, again, the private entities like Cambridge Analytica. How many other companies are doing this here? And this is the tip of the iceberg, like you're saying. We need to broaden the scope of the conversation. But all of this makes the Russian IRA operation just a joke. It, it, it just dwarfs it completely. Because it just shows you how much more there is out there. Of course. I mean, honestly, anyone who's fixating on that Russian internet research agency thing or think that it's anything but a drop in the bucket and that it's like a serious issue, they're either really fucking dumb, brainwashed, or they're actual, like, deliberately shilling for some kind of, like, think tank narrative. I mean, I don't, uh, there's no other really in between wiggle room for me. If you're, if you're really, in, in, like, seriously fixated on that and you think it's important, like, you got fucking conned. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. And the IRA, (laughs) one thing that we forgot to talk about when we were talking about the Internet Research Agency was that it's almost like a hoax organization. Like they've set up multiple hoaxes that have no bearing at all, like in, in, you know, interference or whatever. It's just like literally to hoax people. One of them was like a fake chemical spill that they made like commercials for and like a fake broadcast and stuff like that. So I don't know what their deal is, but it just seems like kind of just a troll hoax organization that that can be outsourced to do different things so um but certainly not you know certainly does not mean that they uh made trump win so anyone who thinks that Mm -hmm. really um really should look at the, the facts more because when you look into it you see that there's really nothing there another really quick story i wanted to mention before we wrap this up is that um the world socialist website um published an article about the CIA and intelligence officers running candidates in the Democratic elections. 
I'm going to read a quote now. An extraordinary number of former intelligence and military operatives from the CIA, Pentagon, National Security Council, and State Department are seeking nomination as Democratic candidates for Congress in the 2018 midterm elections. The potential influx of the military-industrial personnel in the legislature has no precedent in U.S. political history. If the Democrats capture a majority of the House in November, as widely predicted, candidates drawn from the military-industrial complex apparatus will comprise as many as half of the new Democratic members of Congress. Um, one, just one example is this woman named Alyssa Slotkin. She's a former CIA operative with three tours in Iraq who worked as the Iraq director for the National Security Council in Obama's White House. Um, after her deep involvement in U.S. war crimes in Iraq, she moved to the Pentagon and, um, and was involved in drone warfare. And now the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee has designated her as one of its top candidates, part of the so-called red to blue program, targeting basically the most vulnerable Republican held seats. So again, the Democratic strategy is actually honing in on, on cultivating Republican votes, you know, backing more anti-choice candidates, backing actual just CIA officials thinking, oh, I'm going to, we're going to like really get this House seat because Republicans are going to like that Democrats are running a CIA official. I mean, what are they thinking here? <laughs> like the strategy does not work. Um, centrism, like, isn't, I mean, there are centrists because these people are neoliberals and they've like rebranded what liberalism is. But like, if you look at the actual political ideology of voters, centrism isn't like a thing. Like people don't just fall middle of the road and they're like, I don't have an opinion either way. Like whatever. It's like, that's not really like a reality. So I don't know what this whole campaign is about. I think it's just, again, desperately clinging on to power and no, and never trying to eke left because they know if they eke left, then they're just going to get people in that will threaten their own um, power and domination and profit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I just wanted to wrap it up by just saying... Um, you know, this SPLC article, the Southern Poverty Law Center, if, ever, if anyone thinks that that or the ADL is somehow a good organization fighting, you know, hate, fucking stop because this organization is terrible. They've allowed multiple smear pieces up on their websites, basically smearing my colleagues, everyone from Brian Becker to Max Blumenthal um, <clears throat> to Ben Norton, basically likening them to neo-Nazis and fascists, trying to close this alt-left, alt-right circle uh, is a disgrace. It's disgusting. They had to actually retract their article and, and offer an apology for it. But it's coming from a very concerted effort from multiple, quote-unquote, journalists. Um, everyone from Charlie Arkey from Daily Beast, who's Michael Weiss's little henchman, to you know these Syrian war FSA uh, trolls, who basically just want to get it out there that people who oppose regime change in Syria are war crime apologists. They're even created. Yeah, this guy yeah. Alexander Reed Ross calls himself an anarchist, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I've never met an anarchist who, if they knew who Jamie Kerchick was, would actually like positively hyperlink to him in an article series. I mean, it, I just found that astounding. It's like he's using Jamie Kerchick's writings to reinforce his this conspiratorial argument about all these anti-imperialists on the left being secretly collaborating with Russian fascists in some way. It's like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon weird-ass <laughs> smear piece. Now, what's fascinating about Alexander Reed Ross is he said he worked with four other people on the article. He doesn't name them. 
let's try to guess maybe who was involved in that article. Well, I can say with quite with a lot of certainty that it smells an awful fucking lot like the proper not uh, propaganda deployment about a year ago. Look at all the targets in proper not. They match up very nicely and qu- kind of coincidentally. I say that sarcastically with Alexander Ro- Reed Ross's bullshit series. Um, and, you know, I would write this guy off as just like a misguided, you know, leftist who's been, you know, maybe misled by like actual neocon operators. It's more likely actually that he was being directly funneled weaponized propaganda from the same people behind Proper Not. And uh, it just seems like a, basically they re-weaponized the Proper Not attempt and repackaged it. And they repackaged it in the form of a totally fucking manipulative, dishonest SPLC article written by Alexander Reed Ross. Yeah, and talk Or about, if he repackaged yeah. it himself, then he did. I mean, it's the same, basically the same exact strategy. Same bullshit. And talk about so, the Tanky Award thing, how it's like the same people. Oh, the Tanky Award thing. I mean, it's just funny that that guy, uh, what's that guy's name? Oz Kajari? Yeah. So basically this guy is like a Syrian war, uh, Syrian regime change shill who goes after anyone for not wanting Syrian regime change, not wanting regime change in Syria as an Assadist. And he's actually said that we've like, and then he'll simultaneously say Iraq war neocons aren't as bad as like Assadist leftists, just like uh, Martaza Hussein from The Intercept is saying right, that kind right, of right. ridiculous fucking bullshit right, right, right now. Right. None of these people can be trusted. I mean, I'm not saying Murtaza Hussein is like a CIA agent, but I mean, this guy Oz and all these other people who are saying similar things, they might as well be CIA agents. And what's hilarious is this guy Oz Kajari was the seventh follower of this tanky awards account. Like he just stupidly thought that by waiting to be the seventh follower of it, that he wouldn't out himself. It was shocking. Yeah. So it kind of makes me think he isn't a CIA agent because I'm sure if you're working for the CIA, your boss would be like, oh, wait, 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 dude, don't, don't follow that account yet. Like, give it like another right. day. Little Charlie Arkey just like laps up whatever the fuck Michael Weiss tells him and thinks, you know, tries to smear people for shit that he used to believe in too. For example, you know, trying to tie me to fascism and because I, I endorsed Ron Paul like fucking eight years ago or in 2008, he did too. You could find tweets of him basically he saying the same thing. He used to write thing. for Lou Rockwell. Yeah, he which literally is used to write for Lou Walk- Rockwell. He used. This is the weird thing about him is he's written for Telesaur. Yeah, he's written for Lou Rockwell. Yep. So he like made this bizarre trajectory, and now he's writing anti-Russian smear pieces for the Daily Beast. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, whoa, dude, nice transition there. And all these same people are so crazy that they actually call Real News Network a truther organization. Oh, yeah. That is mind-blowing to me. Paul is like airtight because he basically interviewed Bob Graham, a senator who, about how the commission was uh, not 100% accurate. Wow, you're a fucking truther if you think that we were lied to from the Bush administration about the 9-11 commission. Who is that much of just an acquiescent moron, like lapdog, that you can actually say that you're a 9-11 truther if you speak to a sitting senator about the commission? I mean, that's well, just that's, like that's beyond the, the pale. Thing. I mean, it's anybody from the left who is trying to smear or marginalize anyone who questions 9-11 still, I, I, I find them either to be very suspicious to me or they're just completely untrustworthy because they're distorting history. 
they don't they don't they either don't remember or are mar- are re- re- erasing from history the Jersey Girls. Yeah. Um. All the mainstream figures who on the left. Yeah. Who question nine eleven? I mean, except, I mean, there's tons. I mean, yeah, we already named them all on a, a, on the nine eleven anniversary episode. The fact that Charlie Arkey along with Molly Kerbapple and Danny Gold and all these like weird Vice journalists, almost all from Vice, which is kind of uh, interesting. Um, we're all trying to put out this meme starting around 2014, 2015, saying that Russian imperialism was a serious issue. And if you're an anti-imperialist leftist in the United States, you need to take Russian imperialism just as seriously as an American imperialism to suggest that they're completely free of... U.S. intelligence or the U.S. government, they're just independent operators. Some of them might not be. I don't know. I mean, it's just too much of this machinery works very well. So, like, I just don't want to give these people too much credit. Let's wrap it up. I wanted to give a quick shout out to James D'Angelo. I just interviewed him. He's a congressional researcher. Incredible interview about transparency in a way that you have never thought about it before. Check it out on Empire Files and Telesaur. He's also the front man for an incredibly um, awesome hip hop group from the 90s called The Goats absolutely phenomenal you wonder why like the goats never got as much love as let's say the beastie boys well the goats were super hardcore political and just really cutting edge and that might be why they were kind of ostracized in the 90s and not um signal boosted as much but anyway check them out they are awesome and also um i have an event coming up in in san luis obispo on april 7th talking about media and servicing empire from obama to trump um, and I also have an event coming up, I think May 7th. I, I'll check the date, but but check it out on my Twitter. It's also um, going to be with Glenn Greenwald and Jill Stein, just two people that also have been accused of by the intelligence agencies as spoiling the election. So we'll, we'll have a fun time there in Munich, Germany, coming up in May. If anyone's in Germany, go and check it out. I'd love to meet you. Um, but it definitely should be live streamed and archived online if you can't make it. And also, we have kind of a sad um, thing to talk about really quick to wrap it up, which is that a lot of our old episodes on Media Roots Radio have been deleted because of copyright issues. We used to put like Beatles tracks as little interludes and stuff in our in our um, episodes, and they're fucking removed from SoundCloud. So here we are paying this premium goddamn membership. Um, multiple, multiple episodes have just been deleted and, and you know, it just lost because we don't have them saved. So if anyone has, for example, the psychedelics episode that we did, um, we did one on Freemasonry a long time ago. I mean, if anyone has those kind of old archives saved, please yeah, let us know. Any, any, any like download archive saved in media roots, um, compare it to what's on SoundCloud now, if you can for us, um, and just see what's not up on SoundCloud anymore that you might have, because yeah, it looks like at least, 10 episodes of ours just in the last year have been removed like older ones so, so sad it is very sad and we we don't keep backups we we should and yeah. and honestly work i'm i mean it's my fault i'm an idiot for letting soundcloud be sort of our main host we're going to eventually move it to another host at some point because this it just can't keep going on like this that yeah, a company no, it's gonna get worse. can just slowly copyright robot eat our episodes that's total bullshit yeah, so let us know if you joke. guys have that. Get it off is. SoundCloud, it's people. It's a fucking joke. <laughs> it really is. It's it's taken over by spam porn bots now. It's terrible. 
They it laid sucks, off my, a really good friend of mine. They're just mismanaging the shit out of that place, and it's going to go bankrupt eventually. So just get well, off. It, I thought it was going bankrupt, and somehow no, it was it going revived. to. Um, that's part of why they did all the layoffs. But it's. Um, huh. Yeah, it's going down eventually. What a shame. Well, yeah, let us know if you have any tips. I know that people have said Steam It is another good option. I'm, I guess I'm well, looking for Well, it doesn't host audio. I mean, that's Steam what I was going to say, like an actual hosting site we need. Yeah, Steam It's like Reddit. It's yeah. just like a Reddit type platform. Yeah. The only alternative is, and I would recommend doing this to everybody do this, host your own audio podcast on your own server. That's really the only way to prevent what we're talking about. And God, what a bummer. Unfortunately, YouTube has monopolized and has made us all acquiescent to the idea of not hosting our own streaming video. And that's a, a huge problem too, because if YouTube didn't exist and didn't offer this quote unquote free service to everybody, everybody else would have found a way already to host their own video streaming off their own website just by necessity. So the fact that a service is just like, hey, upload all your videos to us and is now like censoring us, that's really bad. That means like we literally set back our society by possibly like a decade because we didn't learn, hey, maybe we should host our own videos on our own servers. Yeah, maybe the quality is not going to be as good as YouTube because let's face it, YouTube is like a money vacuum. There, there's the fact that they can stream shit in like 4K and they can let you upload it on unlimited. It's like a money pit. So no normal human being can afford to do that off their own website. So yeah, you'd have to compromise the quality a little bit, but it's a smarter idea in the long term to actually stream your own video instead of relying on any platform to let to do that for you. So I would think about that. If you're listening out there, you're planning on making your own website or platform, double post. You know, maybe set up your own video streaming applet on your website and post it to YouTube and your own site. I think that's the way that people should be doing it. Absolutely. And we're going to wrap up the episode by listing every one of our donors. And again, we thank you guys so, so much for donating, for listening, for all of your feedback and time. And we would love to hear what you think about uh, the last couple episodes we did. Thank you again, you guys. Um, you really keep us inspired and, and keep us going. We really appreciate your support. But the people that we're about to mention have been extremely helpful and uh, we're so appreciative for their support. Here we go. We'd like to thank Patricia Gorla, Sarah Carlson, Terrence Robinson, Azim Husseini, Carl Knight, Eric, At the Barricades, Apollonia Carstens, Stephen S. Wolf, Andrew Payne, Jordan Cheriton, Abby Davis, Fred Siberian, Level News, Nalia, Ben Bernard, Mark, Arifa Kokar, Amira Kokar, Adam Karkowski, Liam Kolak. Corey Savingano, Dakota Hadfield, Todd Jones, Helena, Michelle, Becca, Jellen, Will Newbury, Crystal Colin, John Blackman, John Scrivener, JC, Matthew Funk, Phil, Exister, Robert Brooks, Cameron Linderman, Vim Roz, Brian Marks, William Cobb, Jason Wilson, Greg Turan, John Whitford, Sam Eaves, Stephen Tushner, Taira Barney, Scott Fortnum, Wolfgang Lang, Ismailia Mika, Anthony McGee, Remo Conscious, Espen Christoph, Anonymous Pros and Joes, Alan Bailey, James Welsh, David Majors, Ted Matrakas, Andrew Rogers, Red Eye Jedi, Jenny Grieve, 
Simon Reynolds, Brandon Annan, Greta Burley, Cathal O'Connor, Gabriel Hernandez, Love Art, From the 31, L.S., Gabe Patterson, Willem, Gareth White, Chang Quion, John Spell, Philip Smart, John Robertson, Reagan Cooper, Chris Monagle, Dominic Trulio, Richard Salisbury, Andrew Elder, Hyder Akon, Adam Karznecki, Thomas Ganley, Fertina, Alex Schumann, Lumpy Louise, Daniel, Mark Aaron, Nathan Yeo, David Kaufman, Ruben Rodriguez, Dustin Rogers, Spencer Richards, Nicola McIntosh, Andrew Brian Carrillo, Alan McLeod, Mutt Mule, Dark Alliance, Alan Henrady, Jay Hefferin, Matt Studemeyer, Dominic Smith, John Ross, Quinton Mann, Mark Martin, Scott Morgan, Ken Peoples, Bobert Bobertson, River Gulper, Alina Jeffries, Tara McLennan, Hugh Taylor, Dalton Manning, Robakee drank a beer once, Sarah Tu, Eric Palm, Jarrett Szymanski, David Kapoor, Abdul Kuso, Jess Moore, Matt, Phil Ellsdale, John Jones, Andrew Lynn, Aiden McAuler, Joseph Ballin, Robert Bird, Colleen Green, P.S., Kai Magard, Ben Johnson, Dre Bastian, Burrito Loco, B.F. Earl, Joey, Marcus Schoten, Claudia Lenman, Ryan Martinez, Gobitzer Erwin, Tanya Torres, Charles Sansone, Erica Case, Chuck Collins, Richard Ellison, Tony Recluse, Faith Peoples, Samuel Weinschneck, KC, Mike Traver, Alex Sadowski, Robert Shane, Alex Smith, and Saba Ahmad. Thank you so wow. much. Wow, a lot of people donate to us. <laughs> yeah, is that exciting? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Thank you so much, everyone. That's so cool to hear all your names like that. Shout out to my friend Nyla. Yeah, we um, recognize some of you in there. Remo. Remo. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>